0: We're fresh on the beat Welcome to the All or Nothing podcast where we bring to you companies and CEOs that are changing the game and I'm your host Rodrigo Bolog. Now with the rise of different dating apps like Tinder, where all you have to do is swipe right to find a match, our next guest has decided to take a different approach. She created a platform that takes into account someone's career and their interests before they match you with a potential date. This app is geared towards the people who are looking to build long lasting relationships instead of a one night stand. The company is growing fast and is spreading across the us so let's welcome the founder and ceo of the league amanda bradford how are you today
1: hey here we go i'm good
0: amanda i'm glad to have you on the show now most people in sales whether it's selling a car clothes or another product they're selling it as is but what i like about your career is that you also have experience as a sales engineer And a big part of that role is to listen and provide a solution that fits your clients needs what were some things that you picked up as a sales engineer that you were able to use when it came to building and running your own company
1: yeah i really like the sales engineer role i know a lot of people don't know about it and it's you know it's maybe potentially not the most celebrated role or visible role but um i think you gain an incredible skill set i mean you're you're literally um, at, you know, at Salesforce, I was on the phone with maybe like four to five clients a day listening to their problems of how how they couldn't track sales um, and they had no visibility. And so, you know, it's almost like these very quick, uh, like three hour consulting projects where you're listening to tons and tons of businesses and you're actually um, configuring the product differently for each and every one of these companies. And so I think you... You know, you I learned really quickly how to hear problems, how to start recognizing trends, and then how to start building, um, kind of building different different types of configurations within the product that you know Salesforce had designed so that, that they, you know, the client felt like it was a very custom solution, even though it was just, you know, maybe writing a little bit of code here and there and and actually not, you know, the kind of the trick was the little the least amount of configurations, but the the highest Client happiness, and so so I think you you, you kind of learned at, at a young age how to be really scrappy because we'd only have maybe half a day to kind of prep a demo and you're you're configuring things and so you're you kind of learn how to how to solve problems quickly and maybe a little maybe a little uh, sloppily sometimes because you're just trying to to get the the sale done you're not actually doing the implementation so um, so yeah I, I think you learn how to how to devise solutions quickly under pressure and. How to also um, think on your feet, right? So you're in the middle of a, of a pitch, and someone's asking you how the product would work, and you're literally having to design a solution in your head, you know, while you're answering them. So, so, so yeah, I just think it, it it's great problem solving skills. I think it's great consulting skills, listening to clients, doing discovery, understanding needs before you you build anything. And and I used all of those skills when when designing the league. I mean, I I did the same thing with the the single people that I interviewed. I talked to women and understood their problems with you know. In this case, it wasn't sales and Lead, lead pipeline, it was a date pipeline, I guess, but it was, you know, kind of similar discovery calls and similar um, talking with, with users and understanding their problems and then designing a, a solution that I felt like would fit, you know, all 20 people I interviewed plus myself. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's a great uh, skill set to just learn how to, how to do that kind of customer focused development.
0: You mentioned Salesforce, but you worked for some of the most notable companies in the world and had success while you were there. So at the time, what was intriguing about going back to school for your masters?
1: Yeah. Um so I did I did a sales engineer role at Salesforce. I did another sales engineer role at Google. Um I did a pure sales role at Salesforce also. So I had dabbled around sales and um you know, sales engineering It kind of sits between sales and product. So I was kind of close to product. Um I I think I felt very I guess one-dimensional in, in the sense that you know, I, I was could do my job really well, and I was sort of a star in, in my one position. But I didn't quite understand all the other, all the other kind of teams happening. You know, Google had thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and just understanding kind of a little more of from top down how everything's working, why we're doing certain things that we were doing. Um, and, and I kind of wanted that that higher level, I guess, business view. And and so whether that was working at a smaller company after that. But you know, in Google, there's a lot of people that had an MBA. And I think when I when I got there, I started deciding that I wanted to have a couple of women that I looked up to and I and I kind of aspired to be. So I there's so many to kind of choose from at Google. But um, I think I selected five and I I reverse engineered all their careers. I went on LinkedIn and I was like, okay, here's what they did, here's what they did before Google, you know, here's what they studied and and just kind of looked at at trends. And you know, a lot of them did have an MBA, and so when you know you pick five role models at random, and then you you map them all, and they all have an MBA. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. So it's it's a trend that that I noticed, and so I started really looking into the MBA programs. And Google had a lot of uh, support for that. There was um, a, a, class, a GMAT class. They even helped subsidize and, and things like that. So that so they make it really easy to kind of learn learn about that path. And I think I just wanted to to see if you know, if that would be something that could accelerate my career. I, I wasn't necessarily thinking it was a silver bullet. I just felt like it would, might be an interesting way to to take some time off and really figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, I, I think with careers, you can, especially if you're successful in your career, it can be really easy to just stay in it. And then, you know, 10 years later, you're like, wait, maybe I wanted to to try something else. So I also recognize that taking, you know, two years off to to reinvest and to, to get a graduate to go, you know, to get another degree would, would give me some time to also reflect on, is this where I want to go with my career? Is this the right path? And, and give you a little bit of a breathing, breathing room. So that was, you know, that, I guess that was the, the inspiration was really, you know, role models and, and having awesome people that I'm working with and wanting to be more like them because they were so amazing and, and kind of looking at it that way of, okay, well, this worked for them and they really thought it was an amazing investment, then maybe, maybe it would be an amazing investment for me.
0: You started the league right after you got your MBA. So what sparked the idea to create your own dating app?
1: Being single. (laughs) I mean, being single and desperate. No, Uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, there's a couple different things. I, I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. That's, that's, you know, what, what I was inspired to do, you know, kind of going into business school. So I you know, had taken a ton of entrepreneurship classes, it was interned with startups, um, you know, wanted to do something in that space. And then, you know, I guess, coupled with that, there was the Tinder revolution happening. All of my friends who had never used online dating were, were now using Tinder and meeting people offline with Tinder. And it was just this kind of pretty shocking consumer behavior shift that, you know, I, I just noticed and I was like, this is crazy. This is not this is not a fad, this is a trend. And, um, you know, there's going to be tender fatigue really soon because there's literally no settings on it. It was just hot or not. And you couldn't, you know, people were from all over. You, whoever's in your in your feed, um, you know, whoever's location near you, right? So it, it's, it's this kind of sloppy sloppy algorithm for, for really dating. And so I just felt like, what, what if I created a more, um, you know, a more refined experience? If we used LinkedIn, I could actually see, you know, does this person... Um, do they live in San Francisco? You know, do they have a job? Where, where, what kind of industry are they in? And just get a little bit more information about the person before you're, you're swiping and, and messaging with them. I think my biggest, my biggest beef was like you're, you're, you're playing hot or not. You like someone. And then now you have to go ask them kind of 20 questions about themselves that, that you really could get by, by looking at their Facebook profile, or looking at their LinkedIn profile, or looking at their Twitter. And so I felt like I was doing a lot of this due diligence through social media, behind the scenes, trying to be like, who is this Rodrigo guy? And can I see, you know, what, what's what's he all about? Do I really want to go spend two hours driving to San Jose to hang out with you? If I, you know, let, let me get, get a little bit more information about, about you. And, and so that, that was really kind of the genesis is what if we use Facebook and LinkedIn? We created this community that was um, really, really curated and had people that, you know, were, were there for the right reasons, that were looking for People that shared their values, that you know, were highly highly educated, want to uh, change the world, and kind of how do we kind of create the the business school community um, within a you know within a dating app community? And so that was you know I think it was a combination of like leaving Stanford and maybe being sad that I'm, I'm leaving this you know amazing network of of awesome people that were all super ambitious and, and trying to change the world, and so how how do I kind of bring that vibe and that community into a, a dating community? Um so that you know, maybe and maybe it was me me being scared of leaving Stanford and, and wanting to to build a a community to kind of move into after that. But um, that yeah, that was really kind of the genesis was was seeing my friends, seeing that shift. And then, and then and then finally it was me being single, right? So I I tested a lot of different sites and um I was single after five years of relationship. So this was my first time really, you know, kind of really classically dating to to be honest. And so Um, you know, I was just didn't like a lot of the apps. I had a lot of feature requests. And so I remember just, I pulled up, uh, the, I looked up the CEOs of like three of the dating apps and I was like, wait a minute, I can do this. I have a background. I, you know, I studied computer science at Carnegie Mellon. I was worked at Google. I was like, I can, I can build this. Why am I, why am I like complaining or whining about these other, these other apps? So, you know, I ended up just working with a developer to build out a proof of concept, tested it on a lot of my network um, in San Francisco and in Stanford. And then we launched it about four months after I graduated uh, business school.
0: You mentioned that it's curated and that you get more background information about each dater. There's a lot of dating apps out there. So what makes the league different?
1: Honestly, the the most concise thing I usually say is the league is a it's a dating app designed for aspiring power couples so you know or the other way I sometimes say it to my mom's friends is you know it's it's for career women and the, the men who want to date them and who are comfortable dating them so you know it's it's this very egalitarian vibe that we're, we're trying to build where you know these are this isn't who messages first this isn't um people looking for arm candy. This is people looking for, you know, an equal partner to, to really build the, the next chapter of their life with. So this is for relationships. Um, these are people that are pretty career focused and um, that, you know, that's our target user. And so we require Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, we require everybody go through a waiting period, a review period. And then we select people that we think are going to be additive to the community um, and try to really keep that community really kind of tight knit and, and pretty well, well monitored. And the goal is that, you know, you're going to see less people in the league and you're going to have less matches, but they're going to be higher quality. They're going to be more tailored to what your preferences are. And so it's a little bit of quality over quantity um, it is kind of our, our trademark. So, um, so yeah, so the so league is designed for, you know, for those kind of people, the super busy you know, professionals that, that want to date someone else that understands that, you know, that, that, that who, that's who they are.
0: Dating and finding the perfect match is something that everyone thinks about at some point in their life. The problem is that there's a wide range when it comes to the different type of daters. You decided to focus on the people that some would call picky, or in other words, people that have very specific needs and what they're looking for in a partner. So when you were developing the platform, why was it important to target a niche market, and what opportunities did you see if you were able to execute?
1: Yeah, I think niche, it's really important to go niche first. I think you want to understand your customer. I think the entire reason we've been successful is is because we were so maniacally focused on our customer. I mean, for almost the first two and a half years of the company, we only served three markets. And, you know, I was literally working through, you know, with the concierge team and on the other side of the support, um, listening to what customers were saying and what users were requesting and what pe- why people were complaining and why people... We're relieving bad reviews and really changing, you know, putting that into their product. So I think, um, I, I think the thing with niche is that if you go niche, you need to deliver an amazing solution for that for that customer because um, because you're kind of serving such a, a much smaller part of the market. You need to to be amazing at it, right? And so that was kind of our my theory was if I can get these, you know, very highly, you know, picky, highly educated, intel intelligent people that. Yes, they want to match, but they're not willing to to drop their standards to have a match. They don't need to get married to be happy, but they'd like a partner, but they you know, but they have quite a few standards. And if if they're not gonna find people that fit those standards, maybe they prefer not to be married. And that's kind of how I how I think about it is so you know, that's the kind of person we're trying to match. That's a really hard person to match. Um, and so we need to be really good at it. And so we have to ask them a lot of questions, what their preferences are, and and use, use our algorithms to to hopefully kind of over deliver to that you know, super, super, super serve that small market, right? And so that's what we've really been focusing on, on doing. And now one of the reasons we've expanded through cities um, rather than kind of changing changing anything of our, our product is so that we can keep staying niche and we can keep staying super targeted. And now, you know, we're in Nashville getting the, you know, educated, overachieving workaholics in Nashville rather than, you know, keep opening up in San Francisco to to everyone and try to create kind of a mass market Solution. So, so that's really why we're focusing on city launches over kind of over serving a specific market or increasing penetration rate in a specific market.
0: When you decide to go into a new city, what goes into launching into that new market?
1: Yes, it's it's quite an interesting project so with each city um you know we'll we'll try to understand the city dynamics and the city makeup what organizations kind of are powerful there what where are people going out what are the organizations that get single people together and can we partner with them and and really um understanding kind of the the dating culture and and how bad it is right i guess and and, and what people are saying about it so we usually do quite a bit of discovery with the users and then we'll find local partners to um, do events with and, and start to increase our brand presence in those cities and then we'll do also do a lot of referring referral campaigns so you know, if, for instance, New York is our, our top market um, and New Yorkers just know everybody and have amazing networks so you know a lot of the time it's just going hey New York, who do you know in Nashville. Um who sh- who do you think should be in our founding class? Who do you think should help us build out Nashville and everyone will refer a friend? Um, and really using kind of using the backs of our of our early users. Uh, is, I would say kind of strategy number one. Um, and then you know, I'd say parties trying to do PR, um you know, doing some paid advertising there to just to get the, you know get brand awareness up. But um, yeah, I would say say the number one is is getting our users to to kind of identify people in those cities that that we should be. Um, you know serving
0: getting your app on somebody's phone is prime real estate right now. You can't get more intimate than that. What advice would you give someone when it comes to attracting potential members and converting them into new downloads?
1: yeah it's it's hard. Um, you know, I did a little bit of a trick which i can I'm happy to share, so one thing I did is I put the app in the app store well before I wanted to launch it, well before I was even ready to, you know, to, to, to have an app that people were using. So I guess you could think of it as I, we kind of launched a smoke and mirrors app into the app store. And so that way, when I was at a party and I was telling a, you know, potential investor there, what I was working on, I could actually say, Hey, go to the app store, download it. Do you mind giving me some feedback on our onboarding flow um, while I have you here? And so, you know, we actually shipped a product to Apple and, you know it did work. it it worked, but the the concept was we didn't we weren't actually open. We didn't hadn't opened the gates to to any of the cities. So um because you're not actually allowed to submit a non-functional app to the app store. but but what we did is we we submitted one that had the whole onboarding flow, put people on a wait list, and then we just hadn't opened the, that city yet. So we were able to, You know, kind of during the four or five months of development and while I was meeting investors, meeting customers, doing discovery, you know, reviewing, getting, um, you know, iterating on the product, I could also be collecting downloads in that same um, in those same five months, so that those were happening in parallel, and then someone told their friend about it. Um, and of course, in that screen where you're on the wait list, there's a lot of marketing on there. You know, hey, by the way, here's when we're opening. We're going to go live here. We're going to pick 300 men, 300 women. You're number 245. We only have 15 spots left for women. You should refer a friend. So there's a lot of kind of product marketing on those pages um, that inspired people to share. And so we'd actually see, you know, with even when I wasn't, we weren't even live yet. Maybe I'd get one or two downloads you know, maybe five downloads a week that I wasn't even, you know, I hadn't even talked to. I didn't even know who they were. They had just, you know, word of mouth. So you could actually see the word of mouth starting to happen if you kind of put it in the app store early. So that was, I think, one huge thing that I did right that um, I don't think a lot of people do. So that's a little bit of a, a secret trick. Um, don't spread that too too far because it is a little bit sketchy getting it into Apple. You want to make sure you you are submitting a functioning app. But um, but that, that was huge. And then I think the other thing was, Was just making sure that people weren't, um, you know, you're not asking people to download an app. You're asking if this product would would fit or would fix some of the problems that you're describing. And and so it's less of the hey, will you download this app and will you try it out, and more, hey, by the way, I I hear you saying dating sucks in San Francisco because of this or Z, you know, hey, would would this would this help? And and so I think it's it's sort of shifting the perspective of like consulting, you know, be more consulting mindset a mindset and asking how can, could this product help you? And do you mind telling me if this product would help you? And, and I think people are w- much more receptive and, and open to that when they feel like it's a co-development process than when someone's sort of pitching them or saying, hey, check this out, or hey, use this, and what do you think? You know, So so, so I really, you know, when, we, when I did focus groups, it was really like, hey, no, I want you guys to tell me how to change this, and, it, and, and, and we'll change this next week. And so you're really kind of bringing your customers into the product management, sweet. And, and I don't think many people get to do that. And so that, that's really exciting for people. So this, so that was, I guess those would be my like top two tips.
0: That's pretty cool. I've never heard of anyone getting their app in the app store before it's ready. So that was definitely a smart move, but a lot of companies tend to rely on gimmicks when it comes to getting their name out there and gimmicks could get someone through the door, but value is what keeps them coming back. In your opinion, what are some things that need to be done in order to get someone to consistently engage with your brand?
1: Yeah, I mean, gimmicks, you could you could even put PR under the gimmicks category. I would probably argue in the sense that it's awesome. We had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of users join through from PR, from some positive PR, some negative PR, but um, you can't depend on it. And it also, it, it kind of has diminishing returns. I mean, it, it works at the beginning, but then, it, you know, by your third Mashable article, You know, there's not that many more people to to be kind of gained from that channel, right? So it it does, you know, it's something I think that helps at the beginning, but you quickly need another strategy to kind of consistently get more downloads. Um, You know, I think to get someone to consistently engage, of what one of the things we did was we just limited. You know, we kind of took a page out of gaming, which is don't let them do everything they want and make them come back uh, the next day. And let's kind of slow this whole process down. Let's not give everybody an all you can eat buffet where everybody has a stomach ache afterwards and then hates dating and then deletes all their apps. Like what if we just give you three people a day at happy hour and then you have to come back at the next happy hour if you didn't like anybody at that happy hour. Or if you did, maybe you come back and get more and then you, you you come back every day and then you can kind of slowly accumulate a a decent pipeline, but we're not, you know, we're not letting people kind of do this all you can eat thing. And I think that actually helped. I always say we gave up session time, but we gained, uh, you know, we gained a, a really high DAU to MAU ratio. So it's kind of a trade off. It's because we don't let people, you know, we only give you three people a day. We only have a session length of about a minute. And so, you know, if I talk to an investor and he's like, well, let's try to get that up to 30 minutes, you know, the the fastest way to do that is just say, okay, I'm going to give people as many, profiles as they want. And that's what most dating apps do because they're an advertising based model and they want to increase session length. And I think, you know, we're looking at it totally opposite of how do we, how do we like help put people in a good, healthy habit, kind of like going to the gym where you're thinking about dating maybe for five minutes every day and we're giving you good leads and then you can turn your brain off and go do something else and, and come back the next day. And so we really think we've seen a huge number of people, um, you know, basically on average user logs in 5.2 times a week. Um, to, to because because we're giving them new people every day and because we're giving them a push notification, that's a little funny quip um, every day. We remind them to check in. But um, those are those are kind of some of the, the product features we did to make sure we had that really high DAU to MAU ratio, which means, you know, of our users that that come per month, over half of them are coming almost every day.
0: Amanda, that was a great interview. I definitely look forward to seeing what you and your team do in the future. Is there anything else you want to tell our audience before you go?
1: Uh, what do I want to tell the audience? Um, you know, I think I think when I think back uh, to you know what are the main main things that caused us to get off this ground? I think the the one is persistence, two is just e- effort and hustle, but but three is timing. And and so I think I don't think enough people think about timing. But um, you know, when I remember when I was asking my professor who ended up investing in the company, but I had a job offer at Facebook, and I was thinking I could go to Facebook for a year, meet some amazing engineers and product people, and then you know potentially leave and do this company in a year from now. And I remember you know the my professor, who's sort of the wisest guy at at Stanford GsB, you know the the only question he asked me was, you know is do you need to do this now, or could you do this in a year? And you know he looked at me and I just remember thinking, and it was just when tender you know Tender was kind of taking off, and I was like, it has to be now. Um, it does And so he's like, so I think you have your answer. <laughs> and so so I just think that um, yes, you can have the best idea in the world. you can work your ass off. you can go to a million networking things, talk to everyone, but but you also need to think about timing um, and and is this the right time to enter and, and how you're going to enter right? so it's 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 a lot of that part of the strategy that I think people miss um, and and leveraging leveraging PR strategically. so if if you know if somebody's talking about, these type of concepts all the time and you can see they're always getting they're always getting uh, press figure out a way to tie your product into into something like that so you can be top of the conversation and i think that um you know while press I, i think maybe hurt our brand in some ways it also did get us awareness and and people understanding who we were so i i think it's just um you know i think the advice is is if, if something's a really good time, like if, if, you're seeing, if you're seeing a huge change in the market or you're seeing a consumer behavior change or, or there's a huge trend happening, um, that's, that's usually a good time to, to kind of jump in. And so that, that if anyone is on the fence about, should I jump in, should I not? And it's really think hard about timing and, and, and is this, you know, do you have a good approach in, into kind of the market you're, you're hoping to disrupt?
0: I wanna thank Amanda Bradford, the founder of The League for being on the show. And if you want to hear more interviews like this, make sure you follow the All or Nothing podcast on iTunes, the Podbean app, or you can find it on our website, thecoolmedia.com. Now, that's a wrap for this episode of All or Nothing, where we bring to you companies and CEOs that are changing the game. And I'm your host, Rodrigo Boulogne.